bringing you key insights, tips, and advice from the brightest minds in the Canadian franchise industry. This is the Franchise Canada Chats podcast. I'm Angela Cote, your host of the Franchise Canada Chats podcast, where we take you into the world of franchising. Our interviews are with franchisees, franchisors, and industry leaders who give on the pulse expert advice and share their franchising insights and experiences. Hello, Angela Cote here, and I am super excited to be here with these three amazing female franchisees who are leaders in their game. We've got Lisa from Life Squad, we've got Trish from Beyond the Classroom, and Allison from Oxford Learning. Now we're gonna introduce them a little bit more in just a minute. Just for context, my background, well, my mission is to help franchisors and, and franchisees optimize performance and profitability by ensuring the right franchisees are brought onto the team and ensuring they have the right support and coaching to hit their goals and become raving fans. My background comes from my upbringing with the family business, M&M Food Market, which we grew over the years to almost 500 locations in Canada. Um, my dad is the founder. And so I had the privilege or discipline of dressing up as Kelly Kebab at grand openings when I was a kid and spent many years in the corporate training center helping other French or helping franchisees with their training. I spent four years in the field supporting franchisees and uh, almost 18 years as a multi-unit franchisee. So I'm really excited to meet some fellow franchisees. Um, I've recently started helping franchisees and franchisors um, on my own and then have built up a team now of eight intelligent and fun and dynamic folks who share my passion. So that's a little background on me so that we have some context. I'm really looking forward to meeting these ladies and hearing their stories and learning from them. Are you ladies ready to get rolling? Okay, awesome. Well, to start, we'll start with um, we'll start with Allison from Oxford Learning. Can you tell us a little bit about your franchising story and just in general what your experience has been like? Yeah, so thanks for having me. I started with Oxford 15 and a half years ago now. I actually ended up coming back from teaching English in Japan and started teaching in the preschool program and ended up working my way through different roles. And then when the opportunity presented itself to buy into the franchise, I, I loved the system and I had done training at head office and then really felt that it was a beneficial step for me to take to be able to buy into the franchise from my former boss. So I did that and then bought a second one shortly after. So it, it was, uh, it's been a good experience so far to have sort of that bigger family that supports you when things get tough. Yeah. And very cool how you, you know, you worked your way in. You didn't just start to decide to go shopping for a franchise. It was more, just more organic. It sounds like for you that you believed in the brand and, and saw the potential. Yeah. And at the time when I had the opportunity, I did look around at some other options at the time, because it's a big step. Is this the right thing for me to do to find the money and, and buy into a franchise? And ultimately at the time it was, so it worked out in the end. Awesome. Well, we'll get deeper into that as we go. I'm going to go to Trish from Beyond the Classroom. If you could tell us a little bit about your story and what your experience has been like. Hi. Um, thanks for having me too. Um, yeah. So I've been a franchisee with Beyond the Classroom uh, for the last uh, six years and I got into it. Um, I was coming back from 
a health crisis and looking for an opportunity uh, to run my own business uh, as I had done previously. And it was just a coincidence of different circumstances that came about. I uh, had a, a history of with the original founder of Beyond the Classroom. I, I knew her quite well. And she was expanding uh, through franchising. Uh, her existing business, had she'd been around for 15 years and wanted to expand her business. So I was her first franchise and her first franchisee and haven't really looked back since. It's been, so again, yeah, she, she drew me into the business. I was looking for an opportunity. It was the right opportunity at the right time for me. That is so cool. And I can't wait to talk more about you being the first franchisee. That's really, really cool. Yeah. But just one thing I wanted to ask is, did you, were you looking for at other franchises or was it more that it's, and it's Kathy, the, the founder, I yes. believe. Right? Yeah. yeah. So was it that you knew her and that's how the opportunity. Yeah, it was more that uh, I had, I, honestly, I didn't look at any other franchises. It was more, I was looking at opportunities and this was just seemed like the right one. Yeah, that's, there's something about that organic again, just that it, you know, it feels right, but it, yeah. it works, it of course, works both ways. You can go looking as well, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll get more into that in a minute. So Lisa from Life Squad, um, your story, your franchising story, just what got you into it and what has it been like for you? Well, thank you for having me. Um, so mine actually started uh, January of 2020. So I purchased the franchise right before <laughs> the pick, uh, but I worked for the uh, previous owner for two and a half years as a consultant. And uh, it is a business that I had always wanted to buy into. I did a project in probably 2007 when I was taking my early childhood education about childhood illnesses and we had to do lice. And we actually did a lot of research about LiceSquad.com. And so for myself, it was a pretty easy transition from what I used to do to what I wanted to do. I enjoyed working with people. And so when the, the opportunity presented itself, I jumped at it. It was just absolutely something I knew I wanted to do. That's really cool because we hear all the time people say, you know, how do you know if you're getting into the right franchise? If you maybe you've made the decision, you, you see yourself as a fit as a, a franchisee and small business owner, but how do you know? And really all three of you, it doesn't sound like I mean, I'm sure there was a, a leap of faith and especially Trish with it being such a new business, but or not new business, but new in franchising, but that it sounds like you all went through this, you know, gut feeling, which is, I, I think is really important. I'm sure you looked at, you know, all the factors, but at the end of the day, you, you knew. So that's really cool. So actually just, we'll stay on that, that sort of topic. I would like to hear each of you what, why you decided to become a franchisee and what made you choose um, the, the children products and services industry. So Allison, I'll go back to you for that question first. Yeah, sure. So I initially thought I would teach kindergarten for my entire life. Uh, I taught briefly in the school board. I taught English over in Japan, came back, thought I might teach. I have my ACE as well. So I thought I might've taught the preschool program at Oxford for a while and then transitioned back into the school board. And I ended up staying and it had the best of both worlds because I was working in education, I was working with kids, but I was also able to use my psychology degree. And, and that was great because we do the cognitive testing at Oxford. So it was great that it was a nice meld of the two. And, and because that opportunity came for me to be able to buy into the franchise, I just, I went with it. So it kind of included all those things that I loved. And what was so scary is buying a business was the scariest part because I'd never taken a business course in my entire life. 
So that was the hard part. And, but that's the beauty of franchising, right? So you knew you had a passion and you're like, how can I uh, put this into play? And so, so then did you ever think about starting your own business or did you, did you know that you would need that kind of support? I'm a big go-getter. So to a point, uh, I do have some other side businesses now, but I think at the time I needed a franchise. I needed a franchise that gave me a bit of an umbrella as well as a safety net to be able to, to move forward because at the time I was 25, yeah, 26. Well, that's when I first joined them, but I guess I was, I was about 30 before I bought it that it was just, you know, still at a time figuring it out. So I think having that umbrella and that safety net was important. Yeah. And you move so much faster to, you know, to get profitable and, and make it work when it's already, you know, it's already been proven. So yeah. That makes sense. That's very cool. Awesome. Um, so Trish, um, what made you decide to become a franchisee? Again, you're, I mean, being first franchisee, especially, did you ever think about running your own business or did you just know I want to become a franchisee? And I guess you've already touched on Kathy had a lot to do with that. The founder. Yeah, I, I came from a background of running my own business. I was more in the field of, uh, training and coaching. Um, so a little bit different and, and very kind of independent. Uh, I was looking again, I, I like, I like the words like umbrella and safety net of, of a franchise uh, that, you know, it was, it was a very well-established business. I knew the founder um, and, and, you know, I, I could, I knew I could lean on that experience and, and that establishment to, um, you know, provide a sense of security and a little, frankly, a little bit of ease in, in setting up my business. That's, you know, she had already worked out a lot of the sort of operational issues that, you know, that I wouldn't know where to begin with. So that, that was appealing for me for sure. Yeah. All those mistakes that she made that you don't have to make. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I made many more, I'm sure, but, but, you know, there were many that, uh, that I could bypass for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Lisa. So let's hear what, uh, yeah. What made you become a franchise? I guess we kind of heard this already, but maybe what that, and then, specifically the industry that you're in? So I've always worked with children and families. Um, so I knew that when I transitioned from childcare, I always wanted to continue working to be a resource in the community for families. Life Squad was established in Ottawa for about 15 years before I purchased it. So for myself, it was a franchise that had already proven their brand here in Ottawa. So for myself, it was a smart decision. It was well-established. I really enjoyed the job itself, uh, what we represent and how we can help members of the community. So those are part of the reason that I wanted to stay with LifeSquad.com because it is what I'm used to doing, which is helping families. And I really do enjoy that. Yeah. And I, one thing that I think is really neat too, is, is the way that franchising has evolved over the years. Um, you know, back, back in the eight, 1980, actually, when my dad started M&M food market, it was a little bit uncommon to use franchising for anything except fast food, right? Like, so there's like Dunkin' and, and A&W and, and, um, you know, Baskin Robbins are all these, you know, sort of food concepts. And, you know, here we are over 30 years later and women can use their passion and their purpose and, and make a business out of that. Like, you know, this, all of you, I'm hearing a lot of purpose in this and, and whether it's, you know, brick and mortar or 
a mobile service, there's just so many more opportunities in franchising than there were before. I think it's really cool to think about that and, and reflect on that. So on that note of, of women, and you know, I'm also seeing more and more female franchisees because I think these opportunities are more suited. You know, they, they, they tap into that nurturing side and that purpose. So I'd love to hear from, from each of you just a, a little, your thoughts on why it's important to see female business owners in the franchising community. So I'll just stay in the cycle we're going. So Allison, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on female business owners and why it's important? I think it's it's sort of that same viewpoint of when we think about how Kamala Harris, even in the States, was elected, right? It's something that little girls can look at and view that I can do that. Because prior to that, anybody that was walking into that White House, some men's white men's faces on the wall plus Barack. So I feel like that's really important too, not just for women, but for women of all cultures to be cultivated into business owners. And for those of us that have broken that barrier, the gender barrier, to start breaking it to be more equalizing with different cultures as well. I think that's really important. And the best way to do that is for women to be supporting other women you know, to cliche, as cliche as that has sounded. And then, you know, you see all the memes, but that is important. Trish might have a, a business that's dealing with kids and education in a different capacity than I am, but that why would I want her to fail, right? It's, it's helping more kids and it's helping her as a woman business owner to be successful. So I just think that that's so important to lift each other up. And for all the men out there who might get a little fussy, it doesn't mean we don't want you to be successful either. <laughs> we just want to make sure that we've got an equal piece of pie. Yeah. Yeah. So it's opportunity. It's influencing others. Trish, did you have anything you wanted to add on to that regarding like just the importance of female business owners? Yeah. I, I, I just to kind of come off of Allison's point about um, women supporting other women business owners. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in, within that context in my business because all it, it just happens to be that all of our franchisees are women uh, for beyond the classroom. And, you know, there really is that spirit of supporting one another. And, you know, I, and I don't want to, you know, engender that, but, you know, I think, I think, you know, women, men as, as well as women can, can offer that. Uh, but uh, I don't know, there's just this, this nurturing and, and caring uh, aspect that I think we all bring to not only our business, but the business of our colleagues as well. And, and to our clients, I think that that, that has, has really shone through through our brand as well. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Did you know that Franchise Canada has a newsletter sent twice a month that's packed full of fresh franchise opportunities? With Franchise Canada e-news, you get new content from Franchise Canada magazine, franchisee success stories, industry news about CFA members, educational videos all about franchising, and you can keep up to date on the newest episodes of the Franchise Canada Chats podcast that you're listening to right now. Plus, by subscribing to Franchise Canada e-news, you get a free subscription to Franchise Canada magazine. Subscribe now at FranchiseCanada.online. Now, back to the podcast episode you are enjoying. Yeah, it feels like it's it's just balancing things out more than it used to be within business. And I think there's a lot of men that support women in business too. So I think that, yeah, they really recognize that a lot of more modern progressive male, like male business people understand that 
we all have our, our unique skills and, and traits. So thank goodness for that. Um, Lisa, I saw you nodding and I think your, your franchisees, I believe are all female as well. And you've got a hardcore female founder. All three of you have a hardcore female founder. I know all three of them. Um, and uh, I mean, superhero, right? <laughs> Dawn. Um, so do, anything that, that you would like to add about uh, women and, and small business and franchising? I think both ladies really said it the best. Like I do find that women as franchisees provide inspiration and motivation for each other. And so you have that feeling of, oh, if they can do it, I can do it too. And I have a daughter and I just wanted to be a really good role model for her in general to show her that no matter what, um, you can achieve anything that you put your mind to. And when you see other women doing it and you feel like you want to be a part of that, it's really important. I'm going to, just on the topic of women, I'm going to go a little bit off track to a question that I was going to ask you a little bit later um, and then get back on track about leadership. Um, Allison, I'm going to ask you this question because it's leadership is, is so critical in, as a friend in franchising, I think on all levels, uh, franchisee, franchisor leadership comes up all the time. And I think, you know, women, um, again, we bring a different type of leadership. Um, I was fortunate enough to do a closing keynote not too long ago for the CFA's um, female uh, leadership during uncertain times. And it was, it was the, the whole event was so progressive and, and really looking at leadership differently. And, and I know when I was a franchisee, I was 25 years old, so I can relate to being, Allison, you mentioned around 30, but you know, that, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize mm-hmm. what leadership skills and traits that I did not have that I had to, I had to either, well, pull out or, or learn so that I could get my employees to listen to me. Cause they, how are they going to take me seriously? You know, 25 year old female boss's daughter, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you know about being a leader? Right. So Allison, what, what qualities over the years have you learned on your journey that make for a great franchise leader? Patience is one of them. <laughs> I think that I'm a different, I'm a different leader now than I was two years ago, let alone 10 years ago. I think uh, you evolve and as you learn more about yourself, but if you actively take the time to learn about leadership and different styles and also the different types of people that you employ, everyone's going to need a different kind of nurturing and a different kind of training and understanding and, and feedback. And so I did a lot of work on learning different ways. I use the Enneagram with all of my staff and I find that so helpful in being able to give them feedback that is helping nourish their skills so that they can then in turn be great leaders. So I think that education is a really key component to being a great leader and being educating yourself so that you can help build the best team. So I know that that's been a huge component for me. And yeah, that patience and planning. I always have plans from A through double Z, ready to go. So that when all those ones don't work, I always have something next that I can go to. Do you mean you're like, you ha- you're ready to pivot? Oh, I, <laughs> sorry. Is, I am not if that is one of my least favorite words of the year and yeah. unprecedented also. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I couldn't resist, but, um, but yeah, you're, you're so right on all of the things that you're saying um, about what you've learned and yeah, it's amazing how, um, yeah, like having a plan and being ready for that. This year has been a perfect example, though, of how we have to be ready to change what we're doing and, and have another plan and backup plan and 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 figure it out. So and not even be ready, but open to it. That's the other part, right? Is like you might have this trajectory in your head and 
I, I have a couple other like fellow franchisees who are a little bit more rigid in their thinking and a little bit more in the box, which works great if you want to buy a franchise. Being in the box is great because they give you a set of rules and you need to stay within the box. I have struggled sometimes to stay in the box, but I always stay in the box because it's the franchise. But, you know, I'm very forward thinking and I'm really creative and I love to stretch that and being able to be open to when you do need to pivot and you do need to change is the biggest thing or, you know, taking some of your employees or clients feedback, being open to that and being open to changing things so that it can be better for your clients. That's a big step of growth. And when I started to be able to do that, I flourished as a leader and then the center flourished even more. Ooh, that's awesome. That's a great uh, hands-on example about being open and, and understanding that that's part of just a part of being a business owner and even, even just a professional in any way that, you, you know, things are going to change. Um, one of the things, Allison, I just want to uh, kind of double click on or make sure that people heard is Enneagram. You use Enneagram. Can you just spell that for people? Because I know I know that that. Yeah, it's my spelling test. Uh, so it's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Yeah. I find it's a little bit more of a personable um, personality test compared to the DISC. The DISC I find is a little bit more clinical. And with my psychology background, I've used all of them. Um, but I like the Enneagram a little bit more because it really helps with being able to give feedback. Um, you can actually measure how, you know, a number five and a number two will work together or won't work together and what will be the bumps in the road and then how you can smooth that over. So I've used that quite often. And that's actually part of my other side stuff that I do where I'm doing some consulting with that. And that's really helped build a strong, solid team for us personally. Very cool. And that, yeah, just really recognizing that different people are going to respond differently. I think that's a really, like you said, it's a growth thing too, right? It's a maturing mm -hmm. thing that, oh, wait a minute, everybody doesn't think like me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you should have more than one you. In, yeah. <laughs> there can't be more than one me. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. We're going to, I'm going to go um, just, I'm going to stay with you, Allison, for a minute, just on the, it's because this is related to leadership. And, and, and Lisa and Trish, if you, if there's anything you want to jump in on again, just, you know, give me a little wave or anything on any of these topics, but I'm going to go just because it's about leadership, um, the franchise advisory council, I, I'd like to talk a little bit for a minute about your experience serving on the franchise advisory council for Oxford, um, for people that don't know what this is, let's start with, can you explain for the, for the audience, what is a franchise advisory council and first how they support franchise systems? Yeah, so the advisory council is sort of like a mini board of directors, except it is deemed a council because you're not necessarily making all of the decisions, but you are advising the franchisor of how the field is feeling on things. So what's an example? We marketing promotions. Yeah, that would be yeah, exactly. So marketing. So if we were going to do postcard drops, maybe we normally do four postcard drops, but instead we're going to drop to three and put a certain percentage more to digital. So it's a it's a group of elected franchisees throughout your system that are the voice of the system. So there was about eight of us, I believe, and we were elected and I had the opportunity to be on it for three years and be able to be that voice of a region and say, well, we're or we're having issues with our internal computer system we would like it to be able to do this but it's doing why and being able to bring that to 
head office and for them to then go fix it behind the scenes or let us know if it was or wasn't possible. So it was great because it was a really great team mentality. You got a little bit more of a sense of how the franchise as a whole was working, which was really nice as well. Yeah, and it's so important for the the home office to know to hear from their um, the front lines, right? Like, you know, really leveraging that wisdom that's out there on the front line. And you know, oftentimes you're out, when you're on the front line, you're discovering things that need to be updated or changed or or made better. And uh, so that's that's really cool that that you had that opportunity. So um, so that yeah, so that's that's that explains it all, um, quite well. Let's let's move on to Trish. I'm I'm gonna jump now to this. You being the first franchisee, I just think this is so cool. It, it it's really cool that you did that, but it it also makes me think that you're more of a risk taker than somebody who would join a franchise that has like you know 300 units or something. Like there's a bit more of a leap of faith. Um, a common concern that when people are thinking of becoming a franchisee in a new system like you did is that there's, they say, well, there's not really proof of concept. Now I know uh, the business had been running for a number of years, but as a, you know, in a new territory and, you know, now that the, the founders becoming a franchisor and supporting people. So there's changes. So um, I'm just curious, you know, did it feel risky to you as a starting point? In, in some respects, yes, it did feel risky. However, I, what I was more aware of was that knowing Kathy, the founder, I knew that I was in good hands and, you know, for, I, I knew that we were both in for some learning and, and I, I knew that, you know, as, along the way, there would be some bumps. Yeah. So I knew how Kathy would handle the bumps as well. And, and, and we would learn and grow together. So I, you know, so, but what I also saw though was, was opportunity with that. Cause I, I, I knew how successful uh, she had been in her existing area. So I had a lot of hope for, uh, for, for brand in, in my location as well. So, so I think that there was a lot of opportunity there. So yeah, was I aware of the risk? Yes. However, I, I felt I was in good hands. And the benefits then were that you, you could see that there was opportunity, right? And were there any other benefits, you know, being in such an early stage franchise system? I think, yeah, benefits in terms of, I guess, you know, my, my role as a leader as well in helping Kathy to shape, uh, you know, the business and so that it would be more successful for growth in other locations as well. So an opportunity to work through some of those bumps. Um, yeah, that's great. That's what I say all the time to people when they're looking at an emerging system. Do you believe in the leader? Like, the, or sorry, the founder. Do you believe in the founder? Do you do you believe in the concept? Do you have passion for it? Um, you might be taking a little bit more risk, but you're going to get to shape, like you said, all the things, like you're going to get to shape the brand a little bit. You're going to get more input. You're going to get that direct connection to the founder. So you're, you're getting all that. So you, and so you trade off a little bit more proof of concept as a franchise company for that. Yeah. And you know, what I, what I found, you know, in terms of a challenge, I mean, it was, it was challenging in the beginning because the, the brand recognition wasn't, wasn't well advanced to be honest. And, and um, you know, needed to travel from her existing location to my location. Um, so, you know, benefit or, or opportunity and challenge both at the same time. 
but you were up for it, obviously. You yes, were up so, for so call me a risk taker for sure. Yes. I mean, yeah. And, and it's, I think the reason I bring this up is for anybody listening, that's thinking of becoming a franchisee, it's something to really um, be introspective about. Like if you are looking at an emerging brand, you are going to be taking a bit more of a leap of faith. If, if that scares you, like you can't even stomach it, then, then go with a more established franchise company that has that a uh, bit more proof of concept. Um, but if you're looking at emerging, you look at the founder, you look at the systems, you, again, passion, and it's, it's cool. I love that we have a, a range here of that. Can I jump on that? Just one thing you mentioned, like for people that are looking to, I think it's important to talk to other franchisees within that system. And many franchise systems have that due diligence that you should be doing it. But there, I, I've seen some systems where it's just really, they wanna keep selling the franchises and whether or not the location in the market is saturated. So I do think that that is, is something that is definitely worth thinking of too. You know, you go to example, Kitchener Waterloo, we've got four Oxfords here. There's a couple other locations of different businesses too that are might be deemed a competitor. But yes, okay, school is at a crazy place right now. And there's going to need to be school support. But I personally, and again, okay, we own franchises that are established. I personally would rather go with one that is established right now and open up something from scratch in when this market is already so saturated. Like everybody's trying to open up tutoring right now because school is a special kind of show. So I, I just think, I think too, if you are looking to go into something, do your research because if it's just to sell a location, just to sell a spot, that's not going to do you or in this case, the students, the service either, because it's just saturating it too much, I think. Yeah, that's a great point. Just talking to other franchisees, that's where you can get the best information and testimonials and franchisors have to be um, careful and cautious from a legal perspective, how much they say about, you know, profitability and all that, but you can go ask franchisees. That is definitely a good idea. So thanks for bringing that in, Allison. That was good. Good to add. Um, okay, I'm going to go to Lisa. You transitioned from being um, in childcare, working in childcare, to becoming a consultant for LifeSquad.com, to becoming a franchisee. What was that transition like for you? So actually, I did childcare for 21 years on my own, and I basically saw an opportunity to work as a consultant. So I did both. So I actually was still doing childcare while consulting. And I really enjoyed it. And so when the opportunity came up to purchase the franchise, it was a pretty easy transition for me because I really enjoyed the consulting aspect of it, working with families hands-on. I do have a little bit of experience running a business. Definitely not the same at all, though. This was much more involved. Um, I do have to say there's a lot about taking on a franchise that I didn't necessarily realize, but it's been a really great learning opportunity. And I'm very thankful for buying a franchise because I've had the support not only from my head office, but from other franchisees. So if I ever have a question, I just pick up the phone and I call anyone and they're really happy to help. So that I think in itself made the transition much easier for me. But as I said before, I love what I do. So for myself, investing in this particular franchise was a really good move for me. So pretty easy transition, actually. Yeah. So that's how it should be too, right? If it, if it's, if it's mm -hmm. right, then it should feel that way. And of course, with challenges, like you said, there's been growth, but uh, definitely some challenges too. Let's, um, let's move into being a multi-unit franchisee. 
it's interesting because some people know when they go into a franchise system that they're going to want more than one uh, territory. They envision doing this and it doesn't always work out for everybody. Allison, I'm going to start with you on this. So you, well, I just, I'll give quick context. I opened my first M&M meat shop in, in um, 2000. It was store 300 in the chain. So I was lucky because uh, by that point, the brand was well-established. You know, we, it was not to say it was easy the whole time, but opening was easy because people were aware of the brand. I mean, we still had to fight the, you know, competition over the years and things, but we went from one store to two, sorry, one store to three stores in a year and a half. That was ridiculous <laughs> and crazy. And then started a family and decided that really made more sense for us just to have two stores. So we actually sold one of them in, in 2006. And, and so I know Allison, you've got a little bit of a story about that too. So first of all, though, you, so you opened a second Oxford, what challenges came along with that for you? Yeah. So I took over my main location in December 20th of 2013 by April or March of 2014. So four months later, I had signed a contract to open up a second location from the ground up. Wow. And just, just uh, pause for a quick sec. This is just so everyone knows, this is a brick and mortar facility. Yeah. Like yeah. we're not talking about a mobile, which even that's a lot of work, but to actually get going on another like real estate and a lease. Okay. So four yeah. months later, you signed on for that. Correct. Never taken a business course in my life still at this point. <laughs> Thought it would be a great idea and head office like, yeah, I'll do a great job. You know how to run a great center. I did know how to run a great center from an education director perspective. I had never been an owner. And that was my, that was my big mistake. And to be fair, the franchise orders, while they were supportive because I did help run a great center, I think they gave me too much autonomy at that moment, thinking I would know how to do that because I had already been really, quite frankly, had most of the reins before I took over my first location. So it was a little bit wonky at the beginning. I never did a great job at the time because I started both so early, managing both as a director. I managed both as in our system, we call an ed director, which is the person that is connecting with all of the families, meeting with all the families, doing all the programming, not the director who is higher level, marketing intake, yeah. right? So I was not the best version of me. I wasn't the best version of me as a leader, just me in general. And I became really, really burnt out. And I don't think I was able to bring that second center up to the spot in, in terms of sales and productivity that it could have been had I been able to focus on it the right way from a leader perspective. So I, I owned it for about two years. And then I had to make the decision, like, it's time to just Let's go back and focus on my main one. So I sold that as a lovely um, lady who owns it now. She does a good job. And then I focus on my main center, which is quite a large center. That's fantastic. All the all that you learned in that and that you had the, um, the, the confidence in yourself to know what you needed to do. And that's, so, again, so important as to be successful as a, as a franchisee to, to like know what you're good at and what works for you. So that's, that's a good story. Um, on the topic of of things kind of that you, you learned, Trish, was there anything that you underestimated about business ownership prior to getting into becoming a beyond the classroom franchisee? The, you know, the first thing, uh, and I mentioned, I alluded to it earlier is, is the, you know, the brand recognition and how, how 
as a new franchisee, recognizing that 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 needed to be developed very much from the ground up in in my location. So uh, I learned very quickly and tried different marketing approaches. Things different, certain things worked and certain things didn't. So I had to very quickly figure out where my marketing dollar was best spent. So so that was there was a big learning curve with that. But then you know all within the context of the business model and the you know day to day operations having already kind of been you know holding holding me in the foundation of that. So I would say that was the biggest the biggest learning upfront. Yeah, that's that sounds uh, yeah like it's just you think that yeah everything's going to be the exact same it's going to work for me and then and then you have to mm-hmm. play around with things a little bit. Yeah, it is. It's like geographic location. So I, I, you know, as much as I thought the brand was great and doing well in one specific geographic location, I needed to build that same brand recognition and uh, awareness within my location. Yeah. Yeah. That brand recognition thing is interesting because again, just because it's a franchise doesn't mean it has brand recognition in it, even if it's a bigger franchise. And even when it does, it doesn't make it easy. I mean, easier. Yes. But you still have to have that grit, right. To to do what you need to do. And it sounds like that's what I'm hearing from you. And Lisa, just kind of on the topic of multiple locations, it seems that common that at um, LifeSquad.com franchisees have more than one location, one, you know, or territory. And so why do you think this is? And I'm curious what it's been like for you to have two franchises. I'm honestly not really sure why um, many of them own more than two. The reason I own two in Ottawa, the territory is divided in such a way that it would just be smart to own both. If I have a client who you know, we can't accommodate at one location, I can just redirect them to the other location. But honestly, I, I don't really know why we own more than one. I think it's mostly service-based business being able to offer any location and it's not a conflict for you to do so. And when it's service-based and you don't have a brick and mortar facility, now do you, are yours brick and mortar? Yes, I have two clinics, one in the East of uh, one in the west of Ottawa, and we do mobile services as well. So yeah, I do okay. have both. Okay, mm. I was thinking that the, you know the more um, let me say this a different way. Like if it's a mobile service business, it can be a little bit easier to own more territories because it's like easier cost wise to get in and all that. But then, but in your case, you've got the center, so that's that's fantastic. Yeah, good for you. Okay, so we are getting to the end here. This time is just flying by. So let's go uh, to, we'll go to Allison. What advice do you have? And I'll ask each of you this. We'll try to keep it sort of succinct so we can get everybody. What do you, advice do you have for women who can be, you know, moms or young members of a millennial generation or Gen Z, um, older women looking for a career change, new Canadians? What advice do you have for those who are looking to take a leap into franchising? I think one you need to have, which might be a little off, but you need to make sure you have a good sense of self before you jump into that, just to kind of know what kind of time you're able to give something. If you've got a passion for that, if you don't have a passion for something, that's not going to be helpful, but there's so many franchise options out there that can support a passion. And I think for moms and, you know, millennials and whatever generation you are, that the franchise system can offer you that support right? Whatever you're looking for. If you need a little bit more guidance in being a leader, if you need more guidance and, you know, setting out your prices, there's different parameters to which they can support you with that. 
Yeah, I really, I'm what I'm hearing, and, and I, I say this all the time, it's like that passion is, is one of the most important things because you can be taught the other stuff, right? Yeah. If, if you're a passion in a cultural fit for the brand and you can learn the technical skills, then that's a good start. And I, I have uh, created the top 10 traits of a high-performing franchisee and the CFA actually took that and it's on, it's on the CFA website. Uh, I don't know if you can go in and search it and put in the DNA of a high-performing franchisee, but you set a couple of them in there just naturally by your response. So that's very cool. Um, Trish, what about you? What, are, what advice would you have for those to take that yeah, away. I think uh, bottom line is to really do your research and 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 with a with a view to knowing knowing the brand and and I think most importantly knowing what the brand values are and do those values align with your values. I think fundamentally those have to mesh, um, you know. And then you know also with the 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 founders and management of the company, do you align with with them and their values? Um, can you trust them? Can you rely on them? I think. You know, those are all questions that are really important to understand uh, when you are looking at various franchises. Yeah. I love it. Again, with the female um, yeah. you know, mentality, whereas if I bet if it was three men sitting here, they'd be like, well, you got to look at the numbers and you got and you got to look at how fast the company is growing and all this. And then I'd be, but what about the core values and what about the culture? I mean, that to me trumps everything culture. I mean, that's why I think we did so well with M&M food market over the years. It was about culture, you know, and people. So um, I mean, last- you have to look at the numbers too. Let's oh, do yeah. it. You want to make money. Yeah. Yeah. That, I thank you for adding that in. I don't want to, yeah, I'm not, don't want to make this sound fluffy. You do want to look at the numbers and yeah. you can, yeah, you absolutely should do projections and figure that out before you sign the dotted line and talk to the other franchisees. Absolutely. I don't want to make that seem unimportant, but I love that we're starting with the, you know, the fit and all that. Cause if the mm-hmm. fit's not there, it doesn't matter what the numbers are, right? If the numbers, if you can't make the numbers get to where they need to be, cause you're not excited about it and core values aren't aligned, then the numbers don't matter. So I think they all matter. Everything matters there. I think the numbers, the numbers and profitability stem from, uh, you know, a successful meshing of core values. I, yeah. I think you've got to believe in that. You do have to do your, your due diligence, of course. And there's peaks and valleys to everything, right? And I think, you know, the, I think we've all had a moment where we're not not including COVID, like outside of COVID even, where you're just going, what is going on? And you got to pick yourself back up. And it's stressful when you look at the numbers and you're looking at the day-to-day. And if you don't have your clear processes in place, what else can you draw on but your passion? So mm-hmm. I think you have to have that if you're going to be able to move forward in those darker times. This is getting so juicy as we get to the end. I wish we could go for another hour, but Lisa, your your uh, advice for people who, women who are getting or thinking of getting into franchising. Well, as somebody who just changed their career after 21 years, I have to say that for myself, um, I would tell everybody, do something that makes you happy. Enjoy your job. Invest in a franchise that meets your needs as a person and that you can invest your time and believe in and um, really back the brand. As the other lady said, it's really important to research the franchise to make sure that it's going to be worth your time and effort. And honestly, for me, I know that it was time and I feel that I made the right decision. So I would really encourage other people if they're looking to change their career to look into franchising. The support. Yeah. I love that you said that because I think I sort of re, you know, I started my own business six years ago and, um, this business that I'm in now and, and, you know, we, we can do that. And the franchising really is a great vehicle for that because you don't have to take as long to get there. 
So um, very cool to hear that. So this has been such a joy. I wish there could be a part two, but <laughs> but uh, we've, we've got other, other franchisees that'll be on the podcast as well. Thank you all so much for your time, Allison, Trish, and Lisa, and uh, your insights have been incredible. So we really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. For more franchising resources, including how-to articles, expert advice, franchisee success stories, and franchise opportunities, visit FranchiseCanada.online. Don't forget to subscribe to Franchise Canada e-news while you're there. You can also learn more about franchising at CFA.ca and connect with specific franchise opportunities at lookforafranchise.ca. Now go be awesome.